Hey, DEFCOM community. Thousands of games are launching every year, and as we all know, it's extremely difficult to get players' attention. We have already covered a few marketing-related topics in other episodes, and today we're taking a closer look at the role of public relations and how it has evolved over the years. In order to do that, I have invited Leanna Murphy, the Chief Operating Officer at Vicarious PR, an award-winning US-based PR and marketing agency. Welcome to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast with your host, Lars Janssen. Thank you for joining me today, Liana. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So before we dive uh, into PR topics, it would be great if you could share a bit of your own personal story that actually led you into games and then into PR in particular. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have always loved video games. Uh, my first gaming experience was on the NES. Um, so I was one of those kids that was thoroughly convinced that if you stood right up against the TV with the gun controller on Duck Hunt, that you had better accuracy. Um, so that was probably my first and most memorable gaming experience, <laughs> that and uh, trying to beat the original Mario Brothers as a very young child, which... Uh, did not go so well uh, because I didn't really grasp all the concepts, but I got as far as I did. Um, so that love just kind of followed me on throughout the years. Um, I always, you know, growing up, I thought gaming was more of a hobby. It wasn't really until I got out of college that I discovered I could actually make a career out of it um, and that it married quite well <laughs> which my, with my bachelor's. Um, so my bachelor's was media advertising and communications. So um, I loved studying advertising. I studied PR as well in college. And um, when I realized that I could marry gaming and, and PR together, it was just kind of a no brainer for me. So um, I started out as a games journalist um, and was lucky enough to uh, meet uh, the CEO and CFO of Vicarious PR and work with them a little bit as a journalist. And um, they offered me a job. So <laughs> here I am about six years later. Um, and I'm now the COO of the company. So you switched sides and pretty much betrayed all your journalist friends from before, right? <laughs> In <Yes>. a way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I didn't look back. No, I'm just kidding. I, I love journalists. <laughs> journalists make really good PR people, just so everybody knows. Yeah, I think, I think uh, from what I've seen uh, you know, um, on your company is that a lot of uh, your uh, teammates are actually uh, former journalists, right? Yeah, like the majority of us are. Yeah. <laughs> So um, let's talk a bit about uh, PR and uh, you know the role of PR and how it has has changed over the years. I mean, I'm I'm curious what your definition of modern PR actually is because it has been you know out there for many years. Back in the day, I would say you know people were uh, simply you know seeing PR as well. You send out a few emails to your journalist contacts, and uh, you know then they maybe play the game. You give them a couple free copies, and then hopefully they write something good about it. Um, so that's I guess how it worked uh, in. In principle, at least in the beginning. But what's your understanding now? Where do you see PR come in, um, and uh, how does how does your company uh, see this uh, as a whole? Yeah, I think PR has become obviously there's a lot more volume of it due to the volume of games that are being made now, um, the accessibility of tools for um, game developers being able to 
do these things not in a studio, but do them like on their own at home while they still have a full-time job and they can still come home and make these incredible games. And there's tons and tons of games coming out like thousands a day on Steam, which is, you know, staggering to think about. So it's kind of, I think with modern PR, it's how do you make a game stand out from those thousands of games that are coming out every day? Um, first and foremost, it does take a good game, obviously. Um, but along that, I think it's really important for modern games PR in particular for the people doing the PR to actually play the games. Um, novel concept, I know. <laughs> um, and to, to enjoy them and to like them because we ourselves as, as PR professionals are consumers, right? Like we're all gamers. So it's a lot of the experience of what do you feel when you're playing this game for this client? What excites you about it? Maybe what doesn't excite you about it? What do you think is beautiful about the game? Like, is the soundtrack gripping? Is the gameplay good? Is the art amazing? And those are the things that you need to talk to journalists about because they're getting hundreds of emails a day. Um, so you kind of have to say, hey, you know what? This game kind of reminded me of this one. And that game's awesome. So I think you might like this one too. <laughs> um, so it's it's a lot of using references for other games that you think that are similar, whether it's mechanics or just the overall feel of it. It might even just be, you know, um, genre attribution, which that line is getting blurred all the time. <laughs> now we have so many genres. Um, and also, I think it's about being very visually focused in your PRs. Um, trailers are super, super important. I cannot stress that enough. Trailers and good screenshots um, will win the day, in my opinion, over a very, perhaps very well-written press release. Um, it's, you know, being able to see what the game is, what your playthrough might be like all of those things are a lot more important i think than super lengthy press releases that are you know five six paragraphs long which again might be a great read but um a lot of journalists just don't have time for that anymore because of the volume of emails they're getting so i think it's talking about your own experience um having lots of visuals <laughs> and good visuals at that um, and equating things to uh, other games so that there's a point of reference for people so that they can try and understand what that game might be like before they even get a chance to play it. And hopefully it uh, inspires them to play it and makes them want to. So also, I think, uh, you know, journalists still play a major role in, in PR, but, uh, you know, influencers have been uh, everywhere over the past couple of years. I can imagine that uh, they have changed the entire PR game uh, for you as well. So how do they fit in? How do you work with, uh, you know, journalists and influencers and the wider community in general? Um, can you cover all of that? Do you have to be selective in terms of, you know, what games you actually take on board to support and then also who you talk to on, on the other side? Yeah, um, we approach influencers a lot like we do journalists um, because it's about realizing that they too are getting a ton of emails a day now. Um, and also 
just as it's extremely important to find the right journalist for your game. Um, going and looking for the, the journalists that actually play the game of like similar games of the one that you're you're pitching for or um, they love the genre of the game that you're in. And it's just as important to do that with influencers because um, these influencers are curating their content and they have their own tastes in there too, in their channels. So like personally, I wouldn't um, approach an influencer that focuses on like FPS or like battle royales with a puzzle platformer because that's not them that's not their audience. So it's gonna, they're not gonna be interested, number one. And number two, it's probably gonna fall on deaf ears with their community, which is the complete opposite of what you want. <laughs> so it's a lot of um, research curating um, at Vicarious, we call it like taking the holistic approach with it and really just looking at the game, learning about the game, knowing your game very well and say, who would like this? Um, and going to those people and, and talking to them about it. Um, I think influencers are playing such an important role because some of the times um, they have a more intimate relationship with their communities than uh, websites do with their readers. Um, obviously, we have some really long established websites that are great and have a great community focused around them. But I think that there's just that more... Uh, there's more of a connection there with influencers. And I think that's why we're seeing the importance of getting influencer coverage um, and getting good influencer coverage as well becomes so much more important and intrinsic to a successful like PR campaign and a successful game launch. How do you manage um, the, the, the complexity of this? I mean, I can imagine if you, let's say you uh, you do PR on uh, a strategy game, maybe some or some other you know niche genre, and you need influencers that really have the communities in that space. Uh, I mean, do you uh, work with other partners that actually like influencer agencies or anything like that that help you with this, or do you kind of source those people yourself? It can, it can be pretty you know difficult, I think, to to do that. So how does it work? Um, a lot of that depends, honestly, on budget. Mm. As <laughs> um, always. <laughs> as always, yeah. the magic word, budget. Um, so if we, for instance, have a client that does have a budget for influencers, then we very well might work with an influencer agency um, because they're always going to know the influencers under their umbrella inside and out. And they're going to have a really good idea of if that influencer is actually going to be interested in the game that you're presenting um, and if their community will as well. So because they've seen all kinds of content that this influencer has covered, they know them, you know, on a personal basis, things like that. So working with agencies can be really beneficial. Um, but again, you have to have the budget for that because more often than not, um, they want their influencers to be paid and rightfully so. Um, if you're in the case that you don't have a budget for influencers, um, not all is lost, really. Um, nine times out of 10, um, the developers that we work with are indie developers and they don't have a budget for influencers. So what we do um, is we approach influencers organically. And what that involves is we usually like to give them something for their time, whether it's, uh, you know, obviously a game key so that they can play the game uh, and stream it or make their VOD. 
Um, but also it goes a long way to offer them keys to give to their community um, because a lot of the times their communities are what are supporting them. Um, and so if you can say, hey, you know what, I can't pay you outright, but I can give you this game and I can give you some things to give to your community. And here's a really good game that I think you will like based off of, you know, XYZ game that you've you've played before and streamed multiple times on your channel. Uh, do you want to give it a shot? And so that's that's basically all you can do with it. Um, but it, again, it's a lot of it comes down to researching the correct influencers to to talk to first and foremost. Like that's the biggest hurdle, really. Are you more approaching those on like on a global scale? So are you looking for influencers with like the, the, the biggest reach possible uh, in their specific uh, genre? Or are you also going local? For example, if you want to you know, push a game I don't know, in Italy or in Brazil, do you do you like locally source people there as well um, to support it? Absolutely locally sourced too. Um, I, I don't think we've ever limited the influencers that we approach um, because you can find fantastic influencers all around the world. So why not talk to them? Why not try and get them to make that content on the game that you're promoting? Uh, it's kind of a win-win situation in my book. Um, but I think it is important to, to make sure that you're falling within the lines of what their channel is about. So if it's whether going after them because they fit within the genre that you're in, or, um, you know, if you're going region specific, because perhaps the game that you're focusing on is launching, like newly launching in that region, which we've seen does happen sometimes where games come out with additional localization support, then it's really important to, to be targeted with it pretty much at all times. It's, more often than not, um, a better approach instead of throwing a massive wide blanket to really throw out a couple of very specific and very well thought out lines. So you already mentioned that uh, nine out of 10 games that you work with are indie titles. Um, so they usually, as you said, don't have big budgets. Um, so what would your recommendation be to uh, an indie development team that you know might not be able uh, to afford any PR agency or they maybe can work with you a little bit? So what's the minimum that you should do in terms of PR on a game if you want to have like uh, you know a decent chance of being seen a little bit? Of course, you know bigger budgets lead to, to more, but what are the, like the, the basics that you have to cover or you have to be extremely lucky to, to be seen at all? Um, I think it's definitely important to have a social media presence. Um, social media and PR go hand in hand. It's very important for developers to connect with their community while they're building it to be accessible, answer questions, um, whether it's on social media or you have a Discord server. Um, and I think, too, it, that developers should really take the time to look at if they're going to be approaching journalists themselves. Um, they should take the time to look at the journalists that they're trying to to speak to and making sure that they're targeting the right journalists for their game. Um, so obviously they know their game better than anybody else. So they should be able to identify if a journalist is going to be the right fit for them or not. Um, so taking that and then also, you know, it comes back to having good visual assets. So if they're going to be outreaching to journalists on their own, sending their own email pitches, um, 
make it short and sweet. Um, don't write a novel um, and send really good visual assets, send a good trailer, send some good screenshots, like anything to give that journalist an idea of what they can expect out of your title. So would you say it's the same um, for influencers if they reach out to them? So let's say there's an indie team, you know, they reach out to a couple of journalists, they prepared some some assets. Are there any you know specific requirements that you would say influencers have or their communities have that you see that are different from what journalists need and so, so the teams should be prepared for that? Yeah, um, I think a lot of the times for influencers, it's a little bit easier for them to maybe connect or see themselves playing the game if you give them some gameplay footage that they can look at um, because then they have a better idea of what they're actually going to be doing when they're playing the game and if it's something that they think they're going to enjoy first and foremost and that their communities are going to enjoy as well um, that's not to say that journalists don't appreciate a good uh, you know gameplay reel they do um, but i think also with journalists they like a little bit more detail as far as like gameplay features and things like that. Maybe give them, if your story is super interesting and a high focus of your game, give them a little bit of the background of the story and, and um, what they might expect to, to go through on like their journey in your game. Um, but I think with influencers, it is definitely much more important to show them the gameplay, what they're going to be doing and what they're going to be experiencing when they're playing your game because it helps them to really understand if it's right for them or not. Have you in recent years seen a shift uh, in terms of importance between uh, journalists and influencers? So do influencers uh, become ever more relevant to this uh, or are journalists going away <laughs> or, or, uh, or is this like a, a balance? Well, how do you see this? I mean, obviously I'm talking to somebody with a journalist background, so, uh, you know, you can't, uh, you can't talk bad about <laughs> this, but, uh, you know, I sometimes of course get this, uh, you know, for also from our own development teams, but I, but I get it from, you know, from the communities as well that yeah, I don't, I don't read those magazines anymore. That's something for like, you know, uh, 35, 40 plus year olds, you know, and, uh, uh, and then the, I only watch like this guy on YouTube or that lady on, uh, somewhere. So, Ouch, can I just say? <laughs> so so I, I'm saying it because I hear these things. So I, I, I wonder what, I know, what your I know. thoughts are. You know? um, I think that uh, over the past few years, the importance of influencers has definitely come up. Um, this is part of a lot of reasons. So obviously there's more influencers now than there used to be, right? So you have influencers that are, you know, focused on specific genres or, you know, they focus on indie games entirely. There's a lot of fantastic influencers that are all about supporting indie developers and which I love them. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it's about striking a balance between journalists and influencers because they both play a very pivotal and important role. Um, people are still reading, um, but people are also watching videos too. So I think it depends on the time that a person has. So you want to strike that balance. If they don't have a lot of time, chances are they're probably going to watch a video on it. But if they watch that video and they're super interested and when they do have more time, they might go and read an article about it to find out more in-depth information about this game. So you're, you're striking both of those things by making sure that you're covering journalists and influencers and, and getting them to cooperate you with you on your title. Um, so they're, they're both 
incredibly important, but there definitely has been a rise. Um, I don't think, you know, five plus years ago, I don't think people considered reaching out to influencers as equally important as reaching out to journalists. It was always journalists first, influencers after. And I don't really think that that's the way that PR is working anymore. I think that they, you need to hold them equally uh, important. What's the role of demographics uh, there? Um, does it play a role, you know, who you are uh, marketing to? I mean, I, I guess it does. So do you sometimes have to balance, you know, the, the importance or, or strike the right balance for, you know, a game that's maybe more uh, for, you know, older white men or, uh, you know, then you might have a, a casual title that's more for, for kids, you know, and then they might, might watch more videos. Is that is that assumption making sense or, or do you always have to, uh, you know, approach journalists and influencers the same way? You definitely still want to approach both, um, but it, it'll shift Uh, who you're approaching, right? Um, so not all games media is going to cover something that is, you know, a little gorier or something like that. Um, and there's a lot of great outlets out there that are focused on helping parents to understand if a game is correct for their kid or not. So if you're handling a title that is focused for a younger audience, then those are great outlets to, to go to places like Common Sense Media um, they, their journalists like to look through and say like, is this suitable for this age group or not? Um, because the developer might think it is, but you know, uh, parents in their everyday world may not think so, or, or vice versa. Um, and same thing, you know, there's influencers that know their audience and, um, if their audience skews a little bit younger then you know, maybe don't approach them with a game that those kids aren't even going to be able to buy on their own um, that they would have to ask their parents for permission for, which, you know, no kid likes doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <yeah. laughs> Mom, please buy me this thing with parental advisory on it. Um, that never goes well. Um, so it, you know, but there are influencers that do have a younger audience and play more um, all age friendly games. So those people are going to be your friend if you have a more casual game or um, a game that's just suitable for a wider range of ages. How do you deal with the topic of influencers and, and their authenticity? Um, for a lot of them, it's, it's actually very important that uh, you know, they play a game uh, that they are able to really share their opinion. But obviously, some uh, you know, companies are paying them and they expect them to you know, say mostly good things about it. Maybe you know, say a few critical things here and there, but in general, they expect them to be uh, friendly, I would say, whereas journalists are traditionally seen as uh, relatively neutral. I mean, there's probably some that can also be bought in, in a way, but uh, most of them have, you know, their, their uh, you know, journalist integrity. Uh, and uh, I would say, you know, this is a bit different than at least how some influencers the, uh, see themselves. But on the other hand, you know, like I said, authenticity is important. Have you ever uh, encountered that issue? How do you deal with it? I think it's important, um, especially if you are doing a, a paid promotion with the influencer to let them play the game first and let them actually get their hands on it and get their own opinion of it to say, yes, I can do that. Like, yes, I want to continue to create content about this game. Or, you know, if it's if it's not for them, you can ask them for feedback, which is going to be super valuable 
for the developers that you're working alongside with and let them know why say, you know what, this influencer declined, but they gave these reasons. So maybe fix this gameplay mechanic or change this one. And, you know, we might have a better reception. Um, you know, QA testing is such a huge thing in all aspects. Um, and it's not just about, you know, finding bugs and things like that. It's about making sure that your game is giving the best overall experience that it can. And I think both influencers and journalists are incredibly valuable with that um, because their opinion is the opinion of a gamer. So this is your, this is your target market. So um, why not take that advice from them or whatever feedback they have and make use of it? Um, it, you know, obviously it's not a great feeling when an influencer comes back and says, you know what, after playing the game, I don't want to do any content on this, but um, I think it is the lesser of two evils because your other option is just to, you know, have them do it anyway. And then you're right. just, you're not going to get good content out of it. And I think um, communities, you know, especially the loyal communities that watch these influencers day in and day out, they can tell if the influencer is not into the game and if they're Absolutely. kind of like putting up a face and, and that's going to resonate with them, but not in the way that you want it to. So it's, I think it's just better to pull the plug on something that isn't going to work. That's not a good match rather than, than force it to happen. Does it happen often that influencers actually turn down projects that you, uh, you know, approach them with? Not super often. Um, I think part of the reason with that is because of being very picky with who we approach and making sure that mm -hmm. we're approaching the right influencers from the get-go. Um, but sometimes it can happen. Um, and I think it's important, you know, for every, you know, for PR um, to always thank people for responding to you because they're taking the time to do that. So I'm always like, if it does happen, I'm like, all right, well, now I got to you know, find somebody else instead, which is okay. But I'm always super thankful that they are honest um, and come back and say, you know what, this just isn't a good fit for me because then it helps me to get that, like get to know that influencer better. So going forward, you know, I thought that this game was going to be a good fit for them, but it wasn't, you know, and perhaps they told me why. So now I take that knowledge with me going forward for any other titles that I've got coming up that I can send to them and I can remember, you know what? They didn't like that title. And this one's kind of similar to that. So maybe I skipped them this right. time. Or, you know, they really liked this one. So, and this one's got some similarities to it. So let me go ahead and, you know, approach them with it. So it's important to get to know the journalists and the influencers that you're working with and their preferences. And even a no can be beneficial because you hopefully get to learn something about that that journalist or that influencer um, and get some valuable feedback for the game developers. Speaking of being picky, um, do you have to tell, you know, game developers sometimes that, hey, I mean, we like you guys, but your game is just not good enough to promote it? Yes. <laughs> Short answer, yes. Um, which is a privilege. Um, Honestly, um, where we are fortunate enough um, at Vicarious to actually be able to pick and choose who we work with. And we've worked with some absolutely incredible developers. Um, and, you know, 
saying no also isn't the end of the world um, either. Um, we can, a lot of the times we offer to give feedback on why so that the developers can understand what they need to work on. Um, and whether they choose to heed our advice or not is entirely up to them. Uh, hopefully they do, um, but they might choose to go and work with another agency and maybe that other agency is a better fit for them, uh, which is okay. You know, it's about finding that, you know, you have to have like a good working relationship with the you know, PR company and developers, I think it's very important in order to have a successful campaign. But um, yeah, if we see games just not quite up to par, or, you know, it's not polished enough, things like that, things that we know, like if we notice those things, then journalists and influencers are going to notice those things. And they're either not going to cover it at all, or you're going to get bad press out of it. So at what point during development would you recommend um, development teams to start doing PR activities? That's often a question that, that I receive, you know, is it too early if we, you know, reach out to the community uh, or work with a PR company during alpha or even pre-alpha or is close beta the right time or later? What, what is your advice there? Uh, when should you start uh, getting in touch? So it definitely, I think everybody's concept of, alpha, pre-alpha, beta, things like that. It's it's all different across the right. board. Yeah. There's no like standardized thing, which is okay. Um, but I think it's a matter of developers really looking at their game and asking themselves, am I ready to show this to somebody else? Um, if the answer is yes, then go for it. Um, if the answer is no, not yet, then maybe set a goal of when you would like to start reaching out to PR companies. We've had developers come to us with like, we haven't been able to see like a gameplay build yet, but they've got, you know, perhaps a cinematic trailer flushed out already. They've got some screenshots and like, maybe we have to wait a month or so before we can actually play the game. Um, but it's about also taking the time to, to talk with those developers and see where they're at in their development timeline and see if it is going to be something that's, you know, way off for the end of the, you know, it's quarter one and, and they're not going to, you're not going to be able to play the game until quarter four, maybe not the time. Um, but if it's something where it's like a couple of months or things like that, then I think that it's definitely doable and important to start building up that like newsfeed of everything and building up your set of announcements and, and building your community because that's the best way to do it is by getting things out there for people to be able to look at consume. That's how you're going to build your community. Have you worked with titles that uh, were on Kickstarter? So where you have pretty much uh, like a development that's completely out in the open? And, and if so, what particular challenges come with that for a PR company? Yeah, we have worked with several Kickstarter titles. Um, I think Kickstarter itself has seen a, a very big shift uh, in the past couple of years. Um, I think early on, it was much smoother and easier to work with a title that was um, using Kickstarter to help its development. Um, and it was also very important, I think, for developers on there to have a successful Kickstarter to be transparent. Um, I think 
unfortunately, over the years, there's been some instances where Kickstarters have been put up or funded that weren't super transparent and games either didn't get made or didn't get made up to the standards that they were promised. And people, rightfully so, were upset about this. And so I think there's become a slight mistrust in Kickstarter. That's not to say that great titles can't continue to use Kickstarter or some other crowdfunding platform um, to help them fund their games because making a game is expensive, you know, um, getting, you know, getting PR, getting all those things that you need to have um, in order for your game to be successful. You do need funds for that. Um, and a lot of developers are self-funding. So getting some help is, is a great thing. Um, but again, I, it's important to show everything you have um, and make sure that your title's ready for Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, if you can't show a, you know, a 30 second clip of gameplay, then you're probably not ready for Kickstarter because people need to see what they're putting their money into. Um, I think being very clear about your backing tiers and things like that, what people are going to get out of this Kickstarter, you know, if they're, if you're asking them to pay more than the base price of your game, what are they getting? <laughs> You know? Yeah, we had a similar um, discussion in, a, in another episode that we uh, released a while ago where we talked about Kickstarter in particular and what you need to have. And it was pretty much the same advice, like make sure that you have something you can present uh, and don't yeah. rush into it. I mean, some uh, developers are underestimating the effort they need to put into a successful Kickstarter campaign. And I think it's it's gotten in, you know increasingly more difficult over the past couple of years uh, to be successful there. So, um, you know, this is uh, definitely good advice um, for, for developers out there. Yeah. And I think too, like if Kickstarter, maybe Kickstarter is not the best crowdfunding platform for you or for your game. Yeah. There are um, other things out there like Fig. So look at all of your options, I think, before just picking up Kickstarter, going with it. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk a bit about the larger companies uh, and, and their strategies. I mean, you know, traditionally, a lot of the uh, bigger game developers or, or publishers have PR teams, you know, internal ones. Um, do companies still need this? And uh, and if so, or if they have it, how do you work with them? What are your thoughts on internal PR teams? Most, uh, and I, I hope I'm not wrong at this, but uh, most AAA companies, they do. They have their own internal PR, um, which I think is important. Um, Obviously, it's it's a little, you know, a little sad for for us PR companies waiting out in the winds here because we really want to work with your titles. <laughs> um, but <laughs> uh, I think it's important because obviously those people that are internal PR are going to know these games or they should know these games absolutely inside and out. Um, and it's more ease of communication because you can go directly to the development teams and, and things like that and say, all right, what's your timeline looking like? Um, what are we thinking as far as like release for this and like really plan things out very well. Um, but sometimes, uh, you know, even larger companies do outsource to PR, um, which thank you, please keep doing that. Um, and it's good because I think it's important for internal PR companies to realize if they have uh, a spot that's perhaps a weakness, maybe their focus is, you know, maybe they're a US-based company and their focus and their strength is only with NA journalists and outlets. And they really want to 
break into other countries. They really want to break into EU and things like that. And they don't have the connections with those journalists. Um, so that's a lot of the times where they'll reach out to a PR company that has those connections that they know can get their press releases to the right people and start building up that that rapport with them, which is super important to have. Have you ever seen a PR campaign go go really bad? <laughs> is there is there any example that you have from not obviously not the games that you worked on yourself, but maybe competitors or people out there? Ways so like I was going to oh, say not art. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, of course not yours. I mean, um, you know, I wouldn't dare ask this, but no. Is there, is there anything that you've seen like where you were shaking your head and like, oh my goodness, you know, I could have done this so much better, or you know, just something went horribly wrong and you you watched it and you were like, how could this happen? Yeah, um, I think, uh, unfortunately, this tends to happen more with like double and triple A titles. And I think perhaps it's like a misconception um, from the get go of who wants to play this game and how it should be marketed. Mm. Um, case in point, and this is by no means reflection on the game. It's a great and beautiful game. Nobody hate me. Um, but the the PR campaign for No Man's Sky was one of those times that it was it was a great pr campaign but it wasn't the right one for that game i think we all kind of everybody was expecting something completely different than what they got um in the title and obviously now it's you know it's recovered and um people are still playing it which you know 100 they should it's a gorgeous game um, but I think had things been approached differently in that PR campaign and the game presented um, in a different manner and more closer to what the actual gameplay experience at launch was going to be like, I think the reception of it would have gone over a whole lot better than, than what it did. And like I said, it was obviously an incredibly successful PR campaign, um, because everybody was talking about it. Um, it just, it just wasn't the right one. It wasn't the right message, um, for, for the game and for what the product was at its launch. So obviously I don't only want to put you on the spot to talk bad about your peers. So I want to give you the opportunity <laughs> to, to, um, you know, also highlight something that you've seen where you were like, wow, this was cool. So, uh, you know, pretty much the opposite question is there anything that stood out to you in your, I don't know, maybe the personal projects you work on or, or some other things that you saw in the industry where you were like, Hey, this was really clever. That's something that, uh, you know, I wish I'd thought of. Um, I love a good teaser, which I think, is becoming you know they used to be really common and then they're they're not anymore um so i think any game that has like a really good teaser on it um i'm i'm like all for it. i'm like i'm i'm in like like gamer me journalism me is like in there and i edit pr me is like i'm super jealous that you got to do this um and just really like i think it's great when games have really fun like spots and trailers where they're just focusing on you know whether it's something cosmetic or or anything like that and not so much just trying to sell their game you know um like showing it can be something so simple as like obviously you know that fortnite comes out with like a million skins uh, like a year 
Um, but sometimes they're like the videos for those skins are hilarious. And I'm not even a Fortnite player and I enjoy those videos and I'm like all about it. <laughs> right. Um, I think, you know, um, I think Overwatch and um, back in the day, Team Fortress 2, when they had their like character introduction videos, that was like by no means trying to like buy the game. It's coming out on this date. None of that was in there at all. It was just, here's this video with this character, like giving you their bio. And like, I was sold like a hundred percent. I just thought it was amazing and such an incredible way to highlight these characters um, that like, it's not even like neither one of them is like a super like story-based game either. You know, they're, they're PVP games, but like getting that connection to the characters ahead of being able to play the game so that like you at home like while you're sitting there you're like oh that character that's mine that's going to be my main like that's who i'm going to play mm. um i think they're like those yeah those character highlight videos just knocked it out of the park and and tf2 was actually watching those videos actually like inspired me to to try and get into games pr because i was like these are genius and they're so much fun like i want to do that <laughs> Would you go as far as saying that, uh, you know, we're still doing way too many of those, you know, call to action videos like buy now and, and these things and we should completely do away with that? I don't think that we need to completely do away with them necessarily. I think it's important to like, obviously, buy now is like a very uh, passe uh, term, I think. Yeah, I know. I was just um, using it too, too, you know. Yeah, no, 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 because <laughs> it's still there. It's still out there. Um, I think it's important to tell people, you know, when your game is out, obviously, um, and when they can purchase it, if they, if they should want to. Um, or if you're asking them for something else, you know, um, a lot of call to actions have shifted to things like join our Discord and come talk to us. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is really important to have because it's great for developers and publishing companies, everybody, to show the communities that they're trying to build up and build trust with that they're accessible and that they're going to be there to receive player feedback and to talk to these players. So a call to action like that, I think, is, is a great thing to have. But I think that we've definitely shifted away from purchase this now. It's coming out now um, because it's just people don't really respond to that anymore. I think that like we all know as consumers ourselves, like if you see like a buy now thing, it's like the kid that wants to do the opposite that their mom's telling them to do. You know, their <laughs> right. mom's like, go do your homework. And the kid's like, I'm going to do everything but my homework right yeah, now because you're telling it's, me to, mom. It's so it's that like adverse reaction. Um, so I think that because as consumers, we were told that for so long um, over like infomercials and things like that, that it's important to to back off of that and to make your call to action, you know, a more important thing. And perhaps a less selfish thing than just buy my game, you know, or buy my product. Um, have them do something else, like connect with you. Yeah. 
speaking of things that have been out there for way too long, <laughs> you know, I can imagine that, uh, you know, you being a female in this industry, and uh, it, despite the fact that you're an avid gamer, uh, which I can clearly <laughs> tell, you know, that you maybe <laughs> sometimes face like, you know, people that are uh, thinking, ah, she's a female, how can she actually represent us? She probably doesn't even play games, you know, how big of, a, of an issue is that still for you? And if it is one, what can we do to finally, you know, uh, get rid of that problem? Yeah, um, it's thankfully not something I have encountered a ton of times. Um, part of that is because our, you know, my CEO is really great at uh, deciding who he wants to work with. Um, obviously, you know, it has happened, unfortunately, where um, I had a developer that just didn't think that I could get the job done um, because clearly I could never or would never play their game because of a female and it was a you know game that involved pvp and why ever would i want to do that um girls don't fight i love they? doing that spoilers <laughs> oh <my God>. uh, <laughs> i will yell at my computer screen um but i i think you know in that regard if it's you know a pr company or something like that it's really about protecting your employees um which i am lucky enough to work with people that wholeheartedly do um, and I also feel, you know, incredibly protective of my employees, um, you know, being promoted to COO. I took that as like a very personal thing because we, we have, I think like almost half our staff is females, which I'm like, you know, pumping my fist for, you know, I love it. Um, so I feel very protective of them to make sure that like their job isn't being hindered or they're not having a negative experience just because a client is biased um, with their, their gender or gender identity. Um, I think it's important for companies, all companies, whether it's PR or game developers, um, even media to support your employees. And when an employee comes forward and says, you know what, I've had not so great of an experience with this person. I feel like they're being a little sexist. Um, these were the things that I experienced. Um, can you have a talk with them or, you know, however, obviously, whoever upper management want to handle it is, you know, going to be up to them. But I think it's important to, it's important for employees to speak out first and foremost too. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm lucky enough to work for a company that really takes no guff with that at all. Um, it's been seldom occurrence with our clients, thankfully. Um, but when it has happened, I said, you know what? I'm trying to do my job and these people aren't letting me do my job. They continuously either try and go over my head and go straight to somebody else, go to one of my male colleagues and ask them the same question, or I will answer a question for them. Um, and they will ignore it completely and ask the same question to a male, one of my male colleagues. And it's not a great feeling. Um, but I think when those things happen, it's important for um, females in the gaming industry to go to their superiors and say, hey, you know what, this is happening. Like, I know I can do this job. I should be able to do this job. Can you help me? Um, and if it's one of those things where the client you're working with just doesn't want to change their ways, uh, then I think it's important to, to cut ties. Uh, right then and there and to show them that we do not accept that behavior um, because 
everybody at this company was hired for a reason and has the skills and the talent to do a good PR campaign for you or make a great game, you know, whatever it may be, it's, you know, cut those ties. And, you know, if it's something that's internal, which, you know, hopefully isn't that those ties get cut as well. And that really people are looked at on the merits of their work and not their, their gender or gender identity. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's so important that we still, you know, state that loud and clear all the time. I wish I, you know, wouldn't have to bring up those uh, uh, those issues in in those episodes. And I hope that maybe you know, five years to ten years down the road, we don't have to. And I mean, of course, it's just it's finally natural and the way it should be. Um, but I've personally seen this as well. And I w- the only thing I would add to what you were just saying uh, is that, you know. The, the male part of the industry also needs to stand up and then, uh, you know, act upon these things. So if things are brought up, you know, we that are sometimes, you know, in the seats of the ones that can make a change, uh, you know, have to uh, do that as well. And uh, I think that that's the important part. We all need to work together to make sure that this is not an issue anymore going forward. Definitely. And I, I think it's important to to um, to celebrate females in the industry um, because we've been here. We've been here for a while. Um, We just didn't talk about it. Maybe, you know, we are a little bit more quiet and because we didn't feel like we could um, be voiced. And I think it's super important for, you know, if you are a female, whether you're working in games PR or games development to like stand up and be like, hey, this is my job. This is what I do. And, um, you know, Obviously, you're going to be proud of yourself, but let other people know. And I think it's super important for females in the industry to be supportive of one another, too, um, and to hopefully connect with each other and say, oh, my gosh, you know, like, here's this person that got promoted and, you know, they are just absolutely doing an amazing job at the studio they're working for or something and just like lift them up and and show them that like it is good to talk about this um and i think it's important for younger generations too um to see females in the industry talking about it and talking about the jobs that they do and how much they love them and that yes there is a place for females in this industry because if we don't do that then um younger generations are going to get discouraged. And I think that's the last thing that we want. No, absolutely. We need to be way more inviting, uh, I think, for younger generations to to enter this industry. And in order to do so, you know, they need to be sure that, you know, it's a safe space and it's, it's a place where they can really thrive based on their talent and based on their passion and not based on, you know, some old white men saying, no, this is not how it used to be. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah. Even though even though I'm also, you know, growing into this, uh, you know, part, you know. Well, apparently man, as hey, ancient you know. 35 to 40 year olds who only yeah. read <laughs> I crossed the 40, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I still read, you know, printed magazines sometimes, you know. <laughs> but uh, no. thank you so much, Liana. It was a pleasure, uh, you know, talking to uh, you about PR and and your uh, experiences there, and obviously also about the power of uh, females in the industry. Um, I, I really hope that uh, you know, in going forward, uh, in a couple of years, we can take a look back and say, like, hey, there's there's still uh, so many things that have happened, uh, and uh, and we find other things to uh, look forward to and improve, and many great games coming out. Thanks again. Uh, it was great to have you here. 
Definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. It was an incredibly good time. And uh, yeah, I hope we definitely continue to see a good positive change in the industry for everybody. Thank you for listening to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast, presented by DevCom.Global, produced by Sven Vosing. Executive producer, Stefan Reichart. Music by WeLoveIndies.com. Supported by Biodynamic, high-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers. Made in Germany.